We absolutely love partnering with Sharpier's Bakery. Aaron Moso has been selling bread, fresh baked bread, to locally owned and operated restaurants six days a week for 36 years. Yes, her father started the company 36 years ago, and Aaron took it over uh, five years ago, and it is doing amazing things. I have so many guests that come in the studio that are like, I love Sharpies. They save me so much time, and the bread is so good. So we, uh, we've got round buns, specialty round buns, dinner rolls, hoagies, baguettes. They do cheesecake. They do flourless chocolate torts. They do specialty loaf breads and regular loaf breads and bullies. Bullies? B-O-U-L-E-S? Sourdough, long Tuscan, wheat, multigrain. They got everything. You should go check them out at sharpies.com. That is sharpies, C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S.com. Or you should give them a call at 615-356-0872. Supporting local is so damn important. And Aaron Moso and all of our friends over at Sharpies Bakery do that daily. Give her a call right now. I think one of the most overlooked things that you can do on a P&L, which is your profit and loss statement, is dish machine and chemicals. It's just one of those things you don't focus on until it's too late. Let Jason Ellis from Supersource come in and do an audit of what you're currently doing and why you're doing it. His number is 771-337-1143. We believe here at Nash Restaurant Radio that every single thing that you do should be done intentionally in a restaurant and allowing some company to come in and just fix your dish machine without you knowing what's really happening is exactly what we're talking about. The thing Jason does the best is he can help educate you on exactly what's going on with all of your dish machines and chemicals. He can do staff trainings to understand why you're using what you're using, again, to be intentional. They don't make you sign any type of contract. They are week to week and can get you a brand new dish machine with three free months of dish machine rental. You need to check them out. Go to NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com, click the Sponsors tab, and then you will see super source click that tab for a special or give jason ellis a call at 770-337-1143 welcome to the gospel of cocktail podcast now here's your host kayla ellis Welcome to the Gospel of Cocktail Podcast on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Uh, today, I'm going to get to talk with Laura Untenberg. I don't know if it's Untenberg or Untenberg. Um, she's an incredible bartender. Uh, our conversation today was really dope. Uh, we get into some good stuff, and I'm excited to kind of show you guys these inside views of what it means to run a bar. Um, so she's running the Fox Bar and Cocktail Club. It's honestly one of my favorite bars in town. Uh, it's where I like to take people when they're coming into town to visit. It's kind of a... Uh, labeled as a speakeasy, but I guess technically we wouldn't consider it a speakeasy because it's not a secret. <laughs> we want people to know about the Fox Bar, but they're doing really cool things. And Laura just has so much to offer in the way of knowledge and honestly, a, a wonderful experience for her guests and for her team. So it's going to be really good to get into this. I also want to let you guys know about this project 
that I've been getting into. They're called Just.Glass. So they're doing really cool things. They're choosing to sponsor us for one, which is very generous and kind. But number two, they uh, are giving jobs to people in the community that have trouble getting jobs, whether it's class issues or, you know, dealing with coming out of, you know, difficult situations. It's, it's really hard to find stability when, let's say, you're, you're you know, coming out of, of jail or coming out of a difficult situation. Um, a lot of times it's hard to find opportunities, even if you want to make it and get back into the flow of things in society. So they've made a way for folks to have stability, folks to make money, make a living. You can find them on justiceindustries.org. So what they're doing is really cool. They can actually pick up your glass for you, all of your recycling. It's curbside pickup. Um, I'm actually seeing if this is something we could be doing at Oku in Nashville and also Oak Steakhouse because those are my two bars. But yeah, if you run a bar program or a restaurant, this is going to be a really easy way for you to make the world a better place. So definitely consider it. Check out justiceindustries.org and you can sign up for their Just dot glass program. Okay, let's get into it with Laura. Hello, I'm Kayla and I'm with the Gospel of Podcast, Gospel of Cocktail Podcast. Uh, both Brandon and I have done that several times of gospel of podcast. It's the gospel of cocktail podcast. Um, and I'm here with Laura from the Fox. And um, I'm really stoked to get to talk to you because the Fox is absolutely one of my favorite bars. Um, would you say hi to everybody? And Hi, guys. First of all, I was absolutely fishing. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. <laughs> um, it is one of my favorite bars, too, which is like gross to say. Uh, but I geeked out over that bar before I worked out, worked there. And I think, um, part of like doing a good job, being a good steward of the brand is like loving what you do every day and being like, yeah. a little bit obsessed with it. I, I love that. Um, I've worked at a lot of places that I love the people, but maybe didn't love the place. Um, or, you know, had to get to the point where I felt excited to be there. And there's only been a handful of places that I've been where it was like, this is it. Like this represents me, this brand ties in with things that I care about. Um, the Fox is dope. You know, like I've been there a couple of times. I've, I bring people when they come to town. Um, and I've known people over the years who have worked there. Um, but it's just such a, a really cool, intimate space. Um, your cocktails are phenomenal. Um, I love your uh, old fashions that kind of switch up. Um, is it weekly or monthly? Monthly. Oh my gosh. I am crazy enough already doing monthly menu flips. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've known bars that have done like weekly things, but no, our, our kind of concept is, um, we do one like serious menu flip per month. Okay. Um, mostly just because, uh, the paper inside our menus needs to be reprinted. At That's least fair. Yeah. Stay nice. And we'll change out a few. Um, and then we do special drinks for like a day or a week, um, at least two or three times a month. So at bare minimum, I'm making five to six new drinks every month. That's I mean, sick. sometimes in crazier months, it's, I think in maybe uh, April or March, it was like 
17 new drinks in one month. Wow. Um, and my boss just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, take a couple weeks, get out of town. <laughs> I was like, thank you. That's, Feel it for a while. That's reasonable. Um, especially cause like you don't, you don't want anything. And I know you understand this. Yeah. There are people that will come into your bar once and that's the only, that one drink is the only impression they're going to have of you. So you never want to phone it in. Um, and it's yeah. for sure collaborative, but you understand this, like, you have um, bartenders at, at different levels and with different tastes and palates, and yeah. they're pitching drinks, but it still needs. Um, I mean, it's like a like an art teacher. You're gonna hone it and and push it and tweak it to not only be its best, but to fit the concept of the bar better and to fit. Um, I call it um, make it foxier, which is like gross, that's but so it's cute. also our name. No, I think that's adorable and lovely. I love that because so I've got. Um, most of the places that I that I do um, are places that change their menu kind of seasonally. So either um, it's e- typically it's twice a year. Oh, for sure, that's reasonable. That's absolutely and sane. That's that's, a lot that's, of normal good. places yeah. do that. I love the idea of doing a monthly flip because number one, your output of cocktails and creativity—it's just that's so fun. You know, that's that's keeping people invested, keeping people fresh. Um, but the other thing too, is like you said, um, meeting bartenders kind of where they're at and, and seeing what everybody's skill set is. Um, a lot of times I see good drinks on a drink menu. What I love about the Fox is that you guys have a good menu, not a couple of great drinks on a decent menu. You have created a full flow where that's like, um, there's something for every palate, um, which is a complaint I have with other places and why I do, the menus, the way I do, we do like a workshop yeah. and everybody claims a territory of a type of cocktail. So you claim your base spirit and then you claim, uh, whether you want the like most refreshing sweetest, or if you want to go a little bit more dry or spirit forward. And we break it down typically, depending on how many cocktails we want to do per menu, there's like somebody picks every category. And so that way no one's bringing the same drink to the table or the same, flavor profile. So we're trying to hit every guest. We're not just having multiples of the easy drinker or multiples of the spirit forward, crazy cocktail. That's definitely the move. It's, um, that, that is the sane way to do it. Um, the, one of the few benefits of changing the menu so frequently is I have a back stock at any given point of six to 12 drinks that are ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have, I almost go the opposite. And sometimes bartenders are like, well, what do you need? What do you, and I'll occasionally tell them, but for the most part, I'm like, what are you excited about? Exactly. Give me, I don't, I'm not going to give you um, a a category. I'm not going to give you a spirit. If you, if all, if every single one of you pitches um, aguardiente cocktails right now, dope. Um, You are bringing what you're most excited about. You're bringing your best. You're coming correct. And it's my job to put them together and to fill in the holes. Yeah. And to fill in the holes and to space it out. Yeah. Um, It definitely is harder that way on my end. But I think for us specifically, I get better stuff from it because they're not feeling forced. They're like, well, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling cognac right now, but this is what it's going to be. It also, I'm sure everyone understands this complaint. Uh, consumers are kind of starting to see it or well, they're, they're seeing it well, but like as buyers, we've been dealing with this for a year and a half at minimum. You just can't get stuff anymore. Can't it's not stuff. like, Oh, it's hard to get or Oh, you didn't order on time. You just can't get it. And if it's you so have, painful. Yeah. and if you have the space to store things or if you are, if, if the 
uh, accountant is understanding enough of you not having an even ebb and flow of yeah. buying, which sometimes for larger spots, if you're buying for a hotel, they won't hear that. Yeah. You, you are limited with a budget every month. And if you go under, you're kind of in trouble because that they're going to set that as your budget for the next year. And yeah. you're like, well, Averna's in right now. I want to buy four cases in stockpile, but you're not allowed that. I have a little bit of flexibility because we're such a small spot. Um, but if something's out of stock, I mean, Bulls Geneva is a great example of a gorgeous historical product that I love working with. I love it. Um, they stopped importing that mark to Tennessee. Yeah. It's just does not exist anymore. Let's tell them what that is. Um, so Geneva is the, to kind of at base level, the, the predecessor to gin. The original, um, the OG gin. Yeah. Like many things the English do well. Um, they stole it from someone else. <laughs> it's honestly colonizing is their, their greatest strength or worst strength actually. Yeah. Both. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's their um, only strength, let's just maybe say it that way. That and shepherd's pie. I love it. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Actually, New Zealand does that better too. So, um, uh, but, um, really, really, I love, I hope for you so many people listen to this and for my sake, I hope no one does. Um, but, uh, the, there are several Dutch companies that are still making it. As a category, it is maltier, a little bit more viscous, yeah. um, generally lower juniper content. Um, so when the company I liked using stopped distributing to Tennessee, they just, um, they also, they make their money. A lot of bartenders say vodka pays the bills. Well, companies have to deal with that too. Yeah. Um, so for bowls, you never doesn't really pay the bills. Um, their wide selection of neon colored, um, kind of dive bar fruit liqueurs does yeah, yeah. Uh, every place on actually I think they might not even be good enough for Broadway but uh, if you can imagine an apple pucker chocolate yeah. liqueur whatever high sugar high preservatives high everything that's oh yeah like keep it alive longer but every color of the rainbow oh, they Lord. make it so they're still making those but I think they just didn't have the space or money or staffing yeah. Um, to continue making the Unaver in that's the so heartbreaking. quantity for sure. Because I love bowls. So it really truly smells to me like my nostalgic root for the aroma that comes out of that mm-hmm. bottle is an O'Charlie's yeast roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so bready and delicious and has like this like lemon oil undertone. And I love its connection to Jen because folks who are like, I can't do Jen. Jen is not for me. You may not want to start off with the bowls, but it is a really cool thing to see. Like, Jen is so diverse. There are so many different types in the market. It's not like biting into a Christmas tree. So it's really fun to kind of open people's minds up to the diversity and the history of where Jen comes from. So I love that that's a product that you can easily get, like, build the intrigue for um, and kind of awaken some guest mind. But it is heartbreaking. Like I, I couldn't get Tito's for a while. I couldn't get Crown Royal for a while. So it's not even just the specialty brands. And a lot of Japanese product right now is crazy hard. And one of my restaurants is Oku in oh, Germantown. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh my Lord, I can't That's get like sake. That's like entire portfolio. The entire yeah. portfolio. It was such a pain. And we're finally at a place where it's like I've got a, like a worked in kind of rudimentary base for everything that we need. Um, and we did stockpile sake for a while. Yeah. We kind of had to, um, but we fully bought a storage unit for it. Yeah. So you're, you're already paying more for these products and then you're paying more to store them. And it sounds, I mean, everybody's suffering, but it's, I don't think people who aren't in the industry or I think even buyer, bartenders and servers and cooks who aren't 
buying don't fully understand, it's on so many levels. So the, uh, the, the, the grain, the mash bill, you know, if a good portion, especially for beer is coming out of, out of Eastern Europe right now, and a, a fair amount of it obviously is not making it out of Ukraine Yeah, and that's more modern stuff, but still like, um, it's not, you know, we had to stay at home and not work. Why should someone in a field have exactly. to work and put themselves at risk? Like, exactly. and stuff was not being processed. And then distilleries, uh, were, you know, saw fewer workers and many of them had to shut down. Um, or, you know, the ones in the States, people were like, well, they were making hand sanitizer. I'm like, yeah, that was a little bit of it. But, um, I mean, uh, and then, you're seeing import problems. No yeah. one can get glass. Can't Red Can't Bull was out in, in Nashville exactly. for a while because uh, they couldn't get cans, which is such a like crazy thing to say because it's so ubiquitous with Broadway. Um, Jack Daniel, like uh, many of the larger brands switched their base level products to plastic. Um, so you can't get glass. And then when stuff is finally making it to markets and they're prioritizing major markets more as well, they should. That's where their money comes sure, from. Yeah. Then our distributors don't have truck drivers they don't have um warehouse workers like it's it's slowing things down on every single every angle single level um yeah. and things are getting more expensive and some of that is um there is there are a couple ways to handle inflation and and the kind of dangerous way is a preemptive price raise because um, mm-hmm. that's just kind of going to be cyclical and go down downhill did you know this was going to be an economics podcast i love I this i'm so into it <laughs> um and i think you're seeing some necessary price raises and then you're seeing some preemptive ones. So it's just, it's really going to get worse before it gets better. Um, And here in Nashville, uh, because Tennessee does not have a state income tax, our sales taxes are higher because that money's got to come from somewhere. They're breaking it down that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, um, and so consumers get a lot of sticker shock. We, we, um, not we try, we do, we at the Fox um, factor that tax into our price. So when you see the price on the menu, that's, um, that's the exact price. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there, at least that factors in the liquor by the drink and Davidson County tax. So there's not, you're not getting that like crazy, um, surprise when you see the receipt. And that's kind of our thing. There's a bar I love, um, uh, that their like motto is, um, fair pours, honest prices. Mm. Maybe it's the opposite. Fair price, honest pours. And obviously that's already taken. So we're not going to steal that, but (laughs) I do think about that a lot. Um, for like allocated things, we don't really hoard stuff. I will, um, harass is a strong word, but kind of, I, I follow, um, the, the TTB like labeling releases and yeah. I, I try and work really hard to know when products are coming to market so I can start bugging my distributors to get stuff before it's even available. Yeah. We'll get it out early. You kind of have to do that yeah. if you want to get it. Yeah. And we'll price things. I like to price things fairly. I'm not going to, I don't understand the bars that price things crazy high just so it's sitting on the back bar. Yeah. W- what's it doing there? There could be something else there, something new, something well, exciting. That's the, the pain that I deal with at one of our restaurants is a steakhouse. Yeah. Uh, whiskey focus. That's what people look for. For sure. I hate this, but uh, the reality is, is that if I don't price it in a range that discourages people from buying it directly off the shelf, the guests that come to us regularly or the people who are, um, you know, regulars, um, they come hoping that they can find this product and it will have been bought by a business group that didn't even taste it or mixed it, mixed it with Coke. Like they didn't care because it was priced in a range that they just bought through the whole bottle and they can just spend money like that. Um, so 
Unfortunately, if I don't price it at a com- more competitive range, the folks that really want to get a taste of it and actually love and respect it and are, you know, hunters, they look for it. Um, they won't get it. it. It'll be gone before they ever see it. So one of the reasons, because honestly, at first we were marketing, we were cutting its poor cost the same as all of our other bottles. Cause that's before, honestly, before this particular year, we could get away with that. And then this last year that when, um, allocated products came to market, um, and there's some allocated products I don't have to do with this, do this with because people aren't seeking it out the same. Um, some cool allocated products, like in the rum families, things like that, I can absolutely keep it at a fair price. But if I don't do it with the, like the pappies and the things like that, it's going to be gone. And I hate it because the way that someone in a large party drinks that stuff is like, it almost makes me laugh because it's like they will buy pour after pour of this $200 whiskey because they don't care and they've got the money and, you know, to each his own. If you want to celebrate and live your life up that way, cool. But there are people who have never tasted it before and have romanticized the experience and then they go out to treat themselves and they can't find it anywhere in the market. Um, the level of business that we get at a steakhouse, knowing that we have whiskey, they buy us out of whiskey immediately. So it's a little bit more challenging in that particular environment. For sure. And you definitely, I mean, I, how many seats is, uh, uh 250, Oak? I believe yeah. 250, so, 300. I mean, same the, fo- except, uh, <laughs> by way less, uh, I have, 40, have 42 seats. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not quite the same and it's, uh, and the buying power comes with that. And because of that, I buy very differently. I spend a lot of time researching and trying to, I take a, a lot of pride, um, in finding new products that haven't really blown up yet but I have yes. my faith in and are going to we also have a different clientele um and yeah. a lot of trust in us that if I'm like oh you guys this is this is the shit this is gonna be huge you gotta try it um yeah and I we have kind of the same not focus on whiskey but um because cocktails are king there but people come in and if you haven't been to the fox it's first of all come by we're open seven days a week um we're on gallatin kind of behind uh, mickey's and it's such a cool intimate like Nicoletta's. fun way to go in it's like people think it's a speakeasy and that's fine it was never supposed to be that way yeah. the door was planned on the other side um where it would have been like super obvious but it's like attached to a small alley that people just jet down and I'm like someone's gonna die someone's gonna gonna run over yeah leaving this bar so let's let's not (laughs) um people come in and like their velvet seats and dark woods and candles and people like ah whiskey whiskey Whiskey, yeah yeah. so um obviously the and I have almost 400 bottles in house right now and always trying to like restrain that a little but the the lion's Mm -hmm. share of that is whiskey um and I try with other products um especially at a at a more expansive price range to find things that appeal to whiskey drinkers so like um there's a a gorgeous rum that it's not particularly hard to find but a plantation 20th anniversary um exo rum the barrels from that rum when they are done go to age angels envy rye so there's that tie-in right there. Foursquare so yeah. four rum, rum really markets themselves at whiskey collectors when their releases are, how their labels exactly. are designed, their secondary finishing, um, things like that. And then um, American brandies that are uh, drier and overproof. Um, 
even even Japanese whiskeys that are that are American Apple brandy aged. Yeah, um, finding finding those ways to tie in bourbon barrels, that yeah, kind of thing. Taking it back to your neighbor, because I know this was what we started this tangent <laughs> on. Um, that is one of the things I, I so love about it. Um, putting aside, and this is really going to offend some Dutch people, putting aside everything else that's delicious about it, it is, if you had to have like the sliding scale of every spirit ever, which I don't know how you would do, I do <laughs> think it kind of in some ways fits between like a malted whiskey and a new world gin. I have to agree with you. Yeah. Because I mean, you're getting, um, the weight and the, the mouth, the viscosity of like a really beautiful age spirit because the congeners and the fatty acids and lipids that, that come in like a whiskey or an age spirit, you're getting that mouthfeel from, um, I always call it, I call it a Genevere. I've heard it pronounced many different ways. Geneva, Genevere. Um, I, I also, I always debate back and forth with this. Um, but it's, I'm, I realized I don't, say quesadilla I say quesadilla so I, <laughs> I'm sometimes more forgiving of myself I'm like you know what I'm just I'm gonna say it as the American lexicon I'm gonna say is it, yeah because I don't I feel too embarrassed to say it the proper way <laughs> I think it's funny like there's time because I I that's a perfect example because I speak Spanish. And so there's moments where I'm like, I read like, I grew up in Arizona and there's moments where I'll see like a street name that's clearly in Spanish. And she'd be like, um, you know, I, I don't, I can't even think of like one off the top, but like by pollo, like whatever it is, just like, do I pronounce it fully in the accent that it is written in and look like a dumbass? Because I'm like, yeah, take a right <laughs> at, um, um, La Luz. <laughs> like, well, and it's also the, the Tennessee and Kentucky. I loop us together so frequently. Um, the Tennessee and Kentucky way, uh, my favorite is, um, Versailles, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. How dare you would never say Versailles. How dare you? It would you? be so weird. Ugh. Um, so we just, it is, it is a Tennessee and Kentucky yeah. tradition to take a European, uh, name and just absolutely pronounce it. The it worst is what way it possible. is now. Yeah. That's our way. We've done it. Yeah. Um, I, so I want to get into this a little bit of your story getting into bartending. Sure, sure, sure. And, um, if, so just really quickly, Laura does not drink, um, but you taste, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I, um, I think there's like a balance for sure. I'll, I'll have a little bit here and there, but I don't. Um, kind of my thing is I don't finish cocktails Same, and it is, I think you're seeing more bartenders and more industry people take a break and realize you don't have to drink to be credible or good at your job. Yeah. Um, they're also, I think it's gone the other way. There are a lot of bartenders that wear their sobriety in whatever form it takes almost as a badge to like, of like moral superiority over others. I don't think that's like fair or reasonable either, but such a personal thing i mean you can't there's no um there's no pastry chefs that exclusively eat pie three yeah, times a day like yeah. that's not sustainable it's um, not a, and we we've talked about on the show so far that like um you know we, on brandon's episode he's a sober bartender um i practice my sobriety where for me and i this is something we talked about is like I can't believe I didn't know sooner that sobriety could look like different things. I thought I had to keep drinking the lifestyle that I was doing because I didn't realize it was not an all or nothing thing. And for some people it is all or nothing, nothing. And I respect that. Like everybody's got their, what they need and what they've got to figure out. I totally respect that. I think it's awesome. For me, I can taste, I can even feel the effects of it. But if I start to feel like that little buzzy feeling 
and get that sensation of like, we want more of this, don't we? That's when I have to be like, no, we're good. I actually like this right here, not more. I don't really talk about it at like work or or to anybody because it's, it's weirdly boring. Like it's like like people who make jokes about vegans talk about being vegan. Like no one wants to talk about your diet or what you drink. (laughs) No one cares. It's the most boring thing ever. I will say most bartenders and this is, we're always happy to talk to you about whatever, but um, it, I'm thrilled when someone comes up to the bar and they're like, do you guys want to talk about the Preds failed playoff run last year? Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, what's your favorite bands around town? What's the, I just, I think about drinks. I talk about drinks all day and you're there to drink and I'm happy to talk to you about it, but it's just, it's the least exciting we're a whole Dang. person. We're yeah. a whole person with all of these different experiences. The, the majority of the majority of them are drinking, but yeah, um, yeah, it's um, I don't know. I, it was definitely easier for me because I have many vices. Um, alcohol was a little bit easier to to ease off from, um, but it for sure it. I don't think anyone's gonna like be like yeah and tout the health benefits of it. <laughs> I mean, even liquor brands won't. Uh, they have it in all their marketing contracts, like a, um done some brand work on the side and you very carefully, you cannot say the word health. You cannot say, yeah. um, anything, anything like that. Um, cause there was a history. I mean, for oh yeah, most of us in the spirits world, we didn't learn how to drink. We learned how to get drunk. And that's not even just in the spirits world. That's in every corner of the United States of America. We didn't learn how to drink. We learned how to get drunk. And that's absolutely uh, something that came from prohibition. It's something that where the culture and the art of drinking was pushed underground. So really just the vices of drinking is what grew. And now we're born into this culture. This is what we live in. Um, But the original reason and the creation of spirits was seen as medicinal. It was utilized for its medicinal uh, benefits of like, specifically with the monks creating, um, you know, Benedictine and Chartreuse are some of the most modern examples of an ancient spirit. Yeah. And it was seen as medicinal originally. Um, obviously, it's got other ramifications. There's other consequences to drinking. As soon as you start drinking, y'all, I want you to notice, and I, you probably have taken a, a special uh, awareness to this too. But as soon as you get a sip and that kind of heat goes back, your mouth starts watering. And a lot of people assume that your mouth is watering because of like the heat of the alcohol or something like that. Really all that's happening is your body knows that you're screwing yourself over. <laughs> your body's like, burr, 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 alcohol is here. Mm-hmm. Let's start digesting this. Let's get this show on the road. And so there's enzymes in your spit that ha- help you digest. And so it's sending an immediate sense of your, like an awakening of your digestive system to get this show on the road. Like everything in your body knows that alcohol is not right. So we just have to respect it. We have to do it a little bit at a time. And yeah, I mean, um, I think like everything in life, like moderation, whatever that looks like for you. I just, I don't know. I guess I don't really think it's that big of a deal. My thing is, um, especially in bars, like you're there to have a good time. No one wants yeah, it, it would be like if you were so excited and you were hanging with your friends and you showed up to, uh, you know, the dope burger spot to have like cheese fries and have a good time. And someone's like, do you know what that does to your exactly. cholesterol? Like that's the worst. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, uh, it's balanced. I, yeah, it's balanced. It's also like, do what you want to do. You're not, you can't take it with you. You can't take your body with you. Yeah. If you want to, you know, uh, there are people it's everybody's body is different and what works for them is different um 
you know, if you're sipping on alcohol to get drunk, if you're sipping it to taste the flavor, if you're sipping it because someone bought it for you, whatever. Um, my kind of thing, as long as you are not putting yourself or other people in that bar in danger, exactly, then you're Gucci. Um, at work specifically, it is a no for me. Um, and this is a, this one was a hard one because like guests want to buy you shots all the yeah. time. And I, my kind of general rule is at max, I'll accept one a night. And it usually is from like a super, super regular or someone that I'm really close to. Um, and I still won't drink all of it because um, I don't want to make them feel bad. But it's also like we, the people working are in charge of your safety. And this is yeah. a huge thing for me. Um, I take, I mean, the Fox gives real first date vibes. It's uh, it's kind of perfect for a first date. There's like not, there's Truly. a little bit of food, but it's not a whole meal. Truly. You're not obligated to a certain amount of time. We get, uh, the, the lights are dim. It is a huge, I would say, um, probably uh, not Tinder. What's the other one? Um, like Hinge, I think. Hinge. It's a Hinge date. A lot of, date a lot of Hinge yeah. dates. Um, it's elevated Tinder. <laughs> sure. Uh, but um, like we are stewards of your safety. There's You're drinking around strangers. Mm -hmm. So my staff is constantly, and I, we're constantly watching like everyone who's like, oh, and we didn't hear what you said. We absolutely heard what you said. Um, we're tuning it out. We're listening to make sure you're okay. Exactly. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you're happy. Um, so if we are drinking, we can't really do that Your for you. Your senses drop. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my thing. Like I, um, uh, the nomad team had like, uh, which is a, a great, um, bar at, uh, 11 Madison park in New York. And they had a saying that was, um, you should always be having more fun. Like you should always be having fun as a bartender, but never more fun than the guests. Like mm. and we kind of at the Fox have that you should have fun at work, uh, or you can make jokes at work, but not about work. Mm. Um, what we do is very like imagine being a kindergarten teacher like you're responsible for children you are responsible we to be clear we don't allow children in the fox but we're responsible <laughs> for adults who have been drinking we are stewards of their experience and their time and their safety um and that is not something to be taken lightly you cannot take it lightly um, it's an honor really someone's trusting you with their time yeah and it's just it's like we try and be like really apparent with allergens and, um, and make sure, you know, I have kind of a policy that I've enacted. Like you can't buy a stranger a drink. Mm. And I don't even really like when someone goes over and talks to a stranger at the Fox. There are plenty of bars for that. We're seated room only. Um, if you want to talk to a stranger, like I'll ask you and be like, Hey, this person's kind of trying to suss out your vibe. Exactly. Is that okay with you? Um, but otherwise like, nah, you're creating uh, a safe space. You're creating safety. Yeah. And it's doing those things intentionally are the ways that you can set yourself apart. Um, there's a lot, you're right. Like there's a lot of places where there's bars. That's the goal. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if that's what you're into and that's the bar that you're seeking out. Awesome. But by creating a safe space, by trying to like make it so that your guests feel comfortable, your team feels safe, your team feels comfortable. It's not an accident. You don't accidentally become a safe bar. You have to be intentional about it. We are super excited to introduce Maintain IQ for restaurants. Maintain IQ is a modern digital checklist system that simplifies your operations. They are designed specifically for restaurants. You can standardize, track, and manage food safety procedures, temp logs, daily checklists, preventative maintenance, and ongoing repairs. 
He's saying that you can, managers will save up to 10 hours per week. You can repair, you can reduce repairs and maintenance spend by $5,000 a year. Staff will know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. Everything is digitally recorded. Minimize liability, ensuring safety, cleaning, and compliance standards are upheld. This is the best thing since sliced bread, guys. And we're going to talk about that in just a second with Sharpies. But we are talking about a checklist to do every single thing in your restaurant that's all kept nice and neat in a little app. You need to call Will Jackson. His number is 888-534-0261 and set up a 30-minute demo. If you do that, I'll give you a free Nash Restaurant Radio hat or I'll give you a free Nash Restaurant Radio t-shirt. Just send me a message on Instagram. Check out Maintain IQ. We are supported by Robbins Insurance, a local insurance agency providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins Insurance is the go-to agency for hospitality professionals in Nashville. Listen, Robbins knows how hard industry professionals work every single day. They also know how devastating accidents can be, be it a grease fire that damages the kitchen, a severe storm that cuts off power, or a customer slip and fall incident. But with the extensive experience and the savvy to create a policy that protects your business from accidents like those, you can rest easy knowing that the work you've put in will not be for nothing. Visit Robin's website at robinsins.com to request a consultation or call Matthew Clements directly. His number is 863-409-9372. Protection you can trust. That's Robin's. You know, what chefs want, some people still call it creation gardens, but what chefs want has been, was our first advertiser on the show. Uh, Monty Crawford saw what we we're doing. He goes, I want to be part of it, dude. I love it. And I just, I love that. They're so perfect because they work with locally owned and operated restaurants better than anyone. And let me tell you how they do it. No minimums, no fees, no fuel surcharges, no surcharges anytime. They deliver seven days a week. They have 24-7 customer support. You can call, text, chat, email anytime from anywhere. Or you can reach them at 502-587-9012. They have a diverse line of products. Their chefs have access to thousands of items across many different categories that allow them to receive fresh product daily. What chefs want is the perfect addition to any broadline company as they've got all of your fresh produce delivered daily, plus custom meats, anything that you need that your broadliner can't get. Give them a call 800-600-8510 or visit them at whatchefswant.com. You have to kind of like make sure that you're creating um, an atmosphere where people are comfortable, people know that you've got their best interests at heart. Everything from the way that you make their drink and help them feel seen through their cocktail to the not letting people get hit on if they don't feel like getting hit on, if they just wanted to come out to a bar and have a good drink. And like, hey, I, I just wanted my space here. Now I've got to talk to this stranger that I didn't know. That's really smart of you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's uh, the only rule that doesn't, the person that doesn't apply to is uh, is me and, and my staff working. And that's kind of sometimes uh, a lot of, bartenders or for chatty people there can be surprising introverts and Mm -hmm. use that um that that block of granite kind of as a as a safety barrier 
Um, but it also keeps you trapped there. And, and if someone's feeling chatty, if someone's like new in town and has no friends or, or just wants to talk about their day or whatever. Yep. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. I, I will let you, we are open from 5 PM to midnight. You can sit down at five, talk the entire time. Yeah. And that's, that's dope. Sounds great. That's we'll do it. Let's on dive our in. Last episode, our episode with Jen and um, Jennifer Arnold, we were talking about guests come to a bar for two reasons. One, to disappear and to kind of hide out. Two, to meet people and talk and have a conversation with their bartender. Um, so you're either hiding or you're running to an energy. Um, and I like the idea that guests have that. I mean, you can, it can look like a lot of different things and your night can change as even as it goes along. But if a guest is clearly digging into their phone or bringing a book and a little bit you know, quiet, dismissive, doesn't want that extra attention on them. Absolutely. I'm going to give you that night. You're going to, I'm going to create a space where you're just like feeding off the vibes and the energy of the room, but in your own little space, recouping and uh, having a, a drink and treating yourself. And then there's other times where they just want to live vicariously through their bartender or live vicariously through the ambiance around them. And I love that. Like I'm going to create a space where that's doable. So what are, uh, I think your listeners want to know, what are you like at a bar? What's your, you go to a new city. <laughs> what are you, You're so cute. what I are you looking this. for? And what, what do you show up as? Okay. Well, I'm going to make you answer the same question because sure. I want to hear that from seems you. Fair. Um, when it depends on, I, I, you know, different nights have different goals. Uh, there's a lot of times where I will straight up bring a cocktail book to study and just be in the ambiance of a bar. Um, and I don't want to talk to other people, but I would say you bring a cocktail, but that's a, that's a hard play. That's cause they know you're into, Ooh, that's strong. That's a, that's an aggressive move. I like it. It's, it's uh, very aggressive. It definitely tells somebody something, but I don't really think about the message too much. It's more or less just like, I need to get this reading done. And if I go home by myself, yeah. I'm going to go find something else to do. So it kind of forces me to be like, you are in the cocktail world and you're surrounded by drinks and you're reading things about cocktails. It just is fully Im immersive for me. I get that. And it's kind of fun because like, um, you know, depending on which bar you're at, the lights might be kind of dim. So mm -hmm. I'm like like reading very closely <laughs> to the book. Um, and I'm a nerd, so I've got my highlighter and all that junk. Like I just, it's, it's some really cool things have popped out to me that way. Yeah. But I would say probably mm -hmm. eight times out of 10, if not nine times out of 10, at some point in the night, the book is getting closed. I'm going to start talking to the folks around me and either buying drinks for people close by. Mm. Um, if I go with a friend, obviously I'm all about my friend that night. Um, but if I'm going to a bar alone, which happens all the time, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's kind of what I'm I, like. Eventually I start off with the book and eventually I'm uh, fully in someone's life story and they're telling me about their um, dog and their, <laughs> and their, yeah. you know, their great step aunt who, is left them when they were a child. And I, I'm just getting into the nitty gritty <laughs> of life with other humans. Uh, that is, I wish I had that, the like ability to just meet a stranger and you're like, we're going to be best friends. I'm going to know everything <laughs> about you. I think it's, I don't know. I think I had too waspy of an upbringing. It's like, <laughs> ask you a personal question. I would never dare. How could I? <laughs> um, yeah, I, when I travel to other cities, obviously I think a lot of us have this. We have like, there's so many bartending communities and networks that like you can go and ask, you know, where do you like in this city? Where do you like in that? And I'll look up the ones um, that also have been kind of internationally recognized by um, 
awards or, or groups that I that I value their opinion. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll try and go to those like one or two of those bars and and see what they do and kind of see you know what makes their program special and kind of learn a little bit. Um, but to be honest, when I'm like looking for a place to go, I, I prioritize food. <laughs> I love that. Uh, my favorite, my favorite bars around town are the ones with the, with the tastiest food. Um, that's, <laughs> I love that so much that's it for me. Um, and even like if people are like, oh, this the happy hour there. I'm like, yeah, they had great price snacks for happy hour. It's, <laughs> um, I, I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia and for Virginia, their liquor laws are such, uh, well, there, there are a lot of other ones, but their, their liquor laws are such that, um, over half of your sales had to be from food and not just food, like not just like snacks or whatever. It had to be entree food mm. and like how they would come in and like check and see if you were sa- actually selling stuff. You can just lie about it. It was a whole thing. So there aren't really, there weren't really bars there. There were bars, but they were also restaurants. Always going to have food. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was, um, or they might like be a full service restaurant and then stop serving food at 11 and just be a bar after that. But gotcha. the Fox was so foreign to me because we, we have snacks and they're great and they're awesome, but they're fantastic. The, no, the thank you. deviled egg. She, she dirty though. She real good. Um, it changes all the time too. And that's what I love about it. That one we've actually, we've, we found a favorite and we've, nice. we've kept that one pretty solid for a minute. Um, it's, that's the hardest part about a constantly changing menu with food or drinks. You have one that you're like, Oh my God, I love this. Am I getting rid of this just because it's been on the menu for a yeah. minute because guests still love it. I still love it. Why, you know, yeah, this, the, I mean, we have drinks that are on there for three weeks and then we have drinks that have been on there for, I think the longest right now is like a year and a half. And it's one that is, I geek out. Of. It's my absolute favorite. And, uh, which one is it? Uh, that one is, so we have 30 cocktails, um, plus some spirit free selections and shots and, and stuff, not to mention neat pours. Uh, but, uh, we have a, We've always had um, a selection of old fashions. And when I first started there, I, I didn't quite get it because I was like, what's really the point of this? <laughs> um, but it, I think it's a great way to show, like, uh, one of them will always be our current barrel pick um, and just a pretty classic expression just to show that off. And um, and then we try and have more experimental ones. So the, the first, we'll go super cocktail nerdy, um, the first uh, published record of the old fashioned was not with bourbon or American whiskey at all. It was with gin. Uh, so we, I try and have like a gin one, uh, but, and some stuff like that, but there's one that is, uh, it's supposed to emulate the flavor of Champarado, which is a a Mexican kind of hot chocolate sort Mm. of drink. It's done with maize, um, to like thicken it and make it rich and sweet. Uh, so it's a blend of Espadín and Barril Mezcal and corn whiskey. Um, that's filtered through, corn um chocolate cereal aka cocoa puffs that have been Yum. slightly burnt and then i do a house mole blend um and then Ugh. a little bit of a maro charo so it, it's i'm smells, truly drooling this is amazing it smells really chocolatey on the nose and it has a little bit of like a little bit more viscosity but it's not particularly sweet um and it just we it first came on our menu as like a specialty menu for Halloween mm-hmm. 2020. I think I was actually doing it with Count Chocula cereal, which is surprisingly hard to find. Uh, <laughs> Very hard to find. I had no idea. I'm not a big cereal person. So I was like, oh, I'll just go to Publix. Well, I guess Publix wasn't open then, but I was like, I'll just go to Kroger and buy this. Uh, I ended up going to six different grocery stores <laughs> and uh, it took way too, spent way too much time on it when there are other more important things to do. But uh, it's had real staying power. So it's kind of weird the way things, I mean, a great example is 
uh, I'm going to drop another bar. There's a bar that's really reputable in, in Spain called Two Schmucks. And they, one of their signature drinks uh, has, I believe it's whis- whipped, like ISI, ISI charged whipped mascarpone on top and cantaloupe below with gin. And it's such a showy drink and it's super tasty. Um, and they, I don't know how long it's been on their menu, but for some time it's one of their signatures. And sometimes that just, that's how it goes. Something that's just boundary pushing enough. Yeah. Um, but still super comforting and familiar flavors. People just gravitate towards and you're like, why should I change this for my own pride for something exactly. new? It's kind of dumb. I'm glad you came back to this because when we were talking about changing the menu yeah. once a month, um, I do, we do get guests all the time that are like, um, hey, do you guys have that drink? Um, I had it last year. I had this and this and this in it. And most often I, I give the team a backup. Like if we've discontinued a syrup, for sure, we'll talk about mixology techniques. Um, mixology is just a tool in your pocket. It's not a dirty word. I do think that people who claim like you have to call me a mixologist, I will be known by no other phrase. They're garbage. That That's not a good way to be. <laughs> but mixology is a tool in my pocket. So if I train the bartenders on how to use it, we can simulate the flavor or mouthfeel of the original drink that they were looking for just by keeping record of all of our past drinks. Um, And sometimes we have everything we need to make it. Um, But there's plenty of times we're like, okay, we we no longer make this tamarind syrup. Um, That's just not part of our prep list anymore. So creating tamarind flavor without the tamarind syrup knowing enough about what you've got in house and all the different cheat codes. I will often use a little bit of Ancho Reyes with a tamarind powder from the mm-hmm. kitchen and like Demerara. And then I get the same viscosity yeah. of the tamarind syrup. But those are the kinds of tricks and things that you keep in your pocket. I love it. That's the job. It's, it's so much, it's, uh, it's, it's being familiar with what you're selling and what you've sold in the past. It's being um, mm-hmm. a steward and caretaker of the space and the people in it. Um, yeah, I know there's, it's one of those things that like the the word mixology has gone through so many ebbs and flows mm-hmm. and my kind of thing is like I, I, my business card says head bartender because I'm a bartender and I am there the most hours yeah uh, but, but I don't I also don't like the self like I used to joke around and I'd be like yeah I'm head idiot or uh, chief dum-dum and I I don't really love that like self-aggrandizing kind of thing that people do sometimes they're like Mm -hmm. oh well I'm just a barkeep I'm just it's not just anything yeah it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you're doing it to the best of your ability and you take joy from it and provide a service that's what it is um if you want to call yourself a mixologist I know a lot of bartenders um myself included probably uh veer away from that phrase but if someone's calling me that and it happens sometimes or they're Mm -hmm. asking is this what you do I know it comes from a place of respect um and as much as like we care as much as I care about cocktails and 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 I know you do too it's um it matters so little like it matters the most it's what we do every day it matters the most um but it also matters the absolute least yeah um and for the vast majority of the drinking world cocktails to uh, the kind of craft cocktails that um that you do and that uh and the 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 vox says as well um don't really matter to them or they don't really know them and if they want to and if they're trying to find common ground i'm like "Yeah, yeah that's really nice of you thank you i'm glad you're excited um 
And that's kind of been a thing that I, I think there are a million and one places to get um, a mediocre drink. And I think yeah. there are at least a million to get a good one. Um, and they're probably close to that to get a great drink. But if you think about the last truly exceptional night you had in a bar, um, I don't even know, or the, even the last great drink you had, how was the ambiance? Like you, I don't think yeah. you can have a great drink if everything else about your night is miserable. Exactly. You can have a good one. So um, being kind with people and, and letting them have a good time. Yeah. Um, it sounds super cheesy, but I just think that's so much more important. The drink should be exceptional that. too. I, you can be the best spot in the world. And if the drinks are still, you know, crap. Bad, yeah. Tight, tighten up, do better. But uh, yeah, if, if someone calls me a mixologist or a, I mean, to be honest, he even had bartender. We all do different things. Like for some, a lot of spots, that means that you, you bartend seven days a week, but you are, you know, the team lead, you are responsible at that hour. I, I bartend one day a week, but I'm there, you know, I try for it not to be 70 hours, but sometimes it comes closer to it. Yeah. The vast majority of my time is inventory and cleaning up and, um, staff management and, uh, and working on brand collaborations yeah. and, uh, spreadsheets. The vast majority of my time is spreadsheets. I'm right there with you. And and expense accounts. It's it's not um, receipts. It's it's just a title. It doesn't. I think my thing is I take pride in what I do. I love what I do. Um, and I make enough money to live the lifestyle I want to. And that's kind that. of that's everything. Well, I mean, a couple things came up in my mind when you said this. Like, for one, let the guest have the experience they're trying to have. So if they're like, wow, I'm getting drinks from a mixologist. Let them have the experience that they're For living sure. up. Um, what also comes to mind is this idea like the value of our sphere of influence in this world. Like you said at the beginning, we only have this one moment with a guest. Um, Preston Denny on his episode, um, he, he used to work at Pinewood Social and he's worked at uh, the Patterson House. Oh, fun. Um, he's an amazing bartender. Um, I can't recall the name of his bar right now that he just went to, um, but he just started at a new bar and he's fantastic. But on his episode, he said, um, there's a lot of times you go into it and you're like, I'm the bartender taking care of you right now. And he says, there's a moment of separation from what you do and who you are. And so he says, there's moments where it's like, I'm no longer the bartender taking care of you. No, I'm Preston taking care of you. This is me taking care of this person in front of me. Um, and I love that because by definition, I'm going to get the job done. I'm a bartender. I love that that's part of what I do and definitely has woven itself into my identity. But there's a moment where you're taking care of other people where it's like, yeah, I'm fulfilling my role as a bartender, but I'm also myself, not just taking care of my guests, but taking care of my team. I just think that's so admirable and um, the heart of what it means to be a bartender like in any sphere of community, any community that you develop around you, it's like you look out for those around you because we're the people we got. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's it. I see your wheels turning in your head. Yeah. No, I, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm a morning person. So around, uh, not to like divulge, but uh, around <laughs> 1136 a.m. when we're filming this, I'm kind of hitting my like slight slump and <laughs> my poor two little remaining brain cells are, are clicking together. I see it. Yeah. It's a, uh, I think they're, it's so different what it can look like. Um, what, and I think this is something everybody struggles with a lot, what success looks like and what a good job looks like. Mm -hmm. What doing a good job at the Fox looks like is so monumentally different 
than yeah. what doing a good job looks like at your bar or at, um, I'll name drop one of my favorite spots, Dino's. Yeah. Their kind of version of me is her, what, what she does is monumentally different and what she focuses on monumentally different, but she does a great job there and they succeed. Um, if she did those things at the Fox, it would not work out so well. And if I tried to do what I do over there, like it just, it's every spot is different. Um, different bars, different goals, nothing wrong with any of them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, before we wrap up, I do have something for us to taste. Yes, please. Um, and I, I believe in the clinking of a glass. Let's so do it. even when you had mentioned with, uh, uh, the, when the guest buys you a shot, I will often even just pour myself Coke just because I believe in clinking the glass with the guest. So, or clinking glasses with like the pre-shift. I'll do, uh, we do ginger shots a lot mm. of times for mm -hmm. our, our pre-shift quote unquote drink because mm -hmm. it burns like the zestiness of a spirit and it kind of still gets everybody amped up, but it's about the clinking of a glass. So sure. cheers to you, mama. Thank you. Thank you for having us. That was a really nice time. resonance. It was gorgeous. I did, I did like that a lot. I love drinking out of a coop because um, I'm like a nerd and it just, the alcohol breathes out. And so you're mm -hmm. just getting a lot of the heart of the spirit and there's so much more room to smell the whole thing. But that clink, <laughs> that was so worth so drinking from a tell coop. Me what we're, uh, tell me what we're tasting. We are drinking Bren. Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful French whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, coming out of France. It's made in a very, co a, the style of a cognac. Um, the lady that runs this is so dope. She uh, used to be a ballerina. She decided to give up her life savings and went to France and got into this project with a local, a farmer in France. Um, and out the back door, they had all of this beautiful uh, product that was growing and they were able to create this really lovely, I chose this one in particular for this because it's still pretty early and it has like a blueberry scone, a scone kind of Oh, taste I to heard it. you, you said scone. I was going to say scone. I like it. I was going to say scone. Oh, that, well, I was actually going to say scone. Like I was going to say a totally different <laughs> word. So I thought you were going very particular with that pronunciation. A scone. A scone. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're French, but, uh, the, but the Scottish, they, they do say scone. Uh, yeah, I, I like telling people all the time. I, um, actually just came back from France a couple of weeks ago oh. and, uh, I don't, don't think people realize like for, uh, petit champagne and certain, uh, crew wheat is the largest grown product like mm -hmm. um obviously some of the um some of the uh regions it, you just financially have to grow grapes like it's the land is too expensive exactly um but for a lot of them uh wheat is what's grown um so a lot of these french whiskeys coming out are um, so few are making it to the states um but they're getting really really high ratings um and they're super super gorgeous especially if you enjoy um like uh I would say more like Miyagikyo style, like um, Miyagikyo, yeah, uh, which is by more mild, Mika. yeah, more mild single malts. Um, if you enjoy like uh, Campbellton whiskey, like it's, um, you're not gonna, you're seldom, I shouldn't say you're not, you're seldom going to find that like deep, super peaty or super iodine forward that or ready kind of, yeah. Um, but uh, definitely a whiskey that appeals to brandy drinkers. Absolutely, sure. absolutely, and it does have that beautiful French blue box. I'm not mad it about that. It is gorgeous, isn't it? I almost brought us the ten, but I honestly like the their regular better, and yeah. especially for like a breakfast time uh, straight alcohol sipper, <laughs> this is the way that I thought we should go. But yeah, cheers to you. Cheers. 
Yeah, that's super nice. It was, uh, I was just at um, Tales of the Cocktail, which is a, I would say it is internationally the largest um, spirits and bartender conference. Uh, and I stopped by, I wasn't I'm so busy and I wasn't planning to stop by the Sazerac house, but I did <laughs> to say hi to a friend and they're just releasing soon a um, pre-phylloxera uh, style cognac Ooh. made from and you know I love a backstory I do they're making it from a recipe found in like the granddaughter's attic just randomly oh which my sounds fake and it might be but I still love it it was super super tasty so this is I the, was gonna ask you about your tales visit yeah. but and just so uh for, she said pre-phylloxera phylloxera was a bug in France that wiped out so many different varietals uh and really knocked out brandy from its top seating as one of the spirits of choice internationally um but a pre-phylloxera so before so what um did you get to try this at the sazerac house yeah um, okay so some of those roots still exist um and you'll, you'll find pre-phylloxera vines especially in like um higher uh elevation areas so like piedmont region and above for italy and switzerland and, and parts of france it's also really interesting um in the in the wine world and, and grape distillate world how we're seeing those regions really really change with um global warming and climate change mm -hmm. it's long been a joke the english <laughs> love to say that their sparkling wine is even better than champagne <laughs> um and while I don't know that that's true um, or that anyone's going to <laughs> like, <Buy that. laughs> like switch um, as, as their climates are changing that that is becoming more and more of a feasibility mm. um, for so long. It was you, you grow the grapes that do well in your region Virginia. I know I'm from there. So I, I drop it is a great example. Thomas Jefferson was a huge Francophile. He loved France. He was obsessed. He tried for years to, to grow French grapes mm -hmm. um, or well, he had his hundreds of enslaved people uh, grow French grapes. Yeah, that's and, what happened. <laughs> uh, famously, his wines were awful. He would not even drink them. It was like a running joke. Um, his friends all made fun of him as well. They should have. Um, and it wasn't until centuries later um, that, people were like looking at the soil and looking at the terroir and looking at where um, Virginia had been in Pangea and they started growing um, more Piedmont region Italian grapes. That's cool. That's and really cool. And while Virginia, I don't know, is the most famous um, Appalachian wine in the world. I have to be world, honest, I haven't tried any Virginian wine. There is some cool stuff coming from it. Um, uh now I'm really embarrassed. I can't um, think That's of how it off the top goes. of my head. I can never pull up a name when I need it. But um, but the ones that are using uh, the styles of of growing and uh, and grapes that it sounds weird, but what do better there? They they taste good. Mm. Um, it's definitely not uh, just growing intelligently. Yeah. I well, why we started talking about this, but well, because we're <laughs> tasting something delicious from France, so. Um, that's kind of the, my, what I love about talking with bartenders is I can go on just about any tangent, um, and fully embrace all of that conversation. And this has been so much fun because we've gone on probably all the tangents that I love, like talking, whether it was the economics behind why things are priced the way they are at your bar to, you know, why our grapes taste the way they do here in the States. Um, I have loved talking with you. I've got one last question actually two last questions for you. I'll make it fast. I promise. No, you take your time. Mama. <laughs> you take your time. The floor is yours. But, uh, all of 
what you have like accumulated through the years. There, I've got two questions for you in, in what you've experienced. And they're, they're not easy questions. So I'm going to give that to you. It's not an easy question. The first one, what can bartenders be doing better? Mm-hmm. The second one is a little bit more complicated. What can the industry be doing better for you as a female bartender, as a bartender period, as a person growing in this industry? What could the industry be doing better from your perspective? Um, I'm going to go backwards. Uh, what the industry could be doing for me, um, to be honest, I see a lot of it, um, which is not gatekeeping. If you, Hell yeah. uh, everything at the Fox, um, actually there's an exception. There's one thing I've told my staff specifically. They know what it is, but I've told them specifically not to tell guests. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. It's a, we do a house Amari blend and I'm like, you can know what's in this, but if you tell anyone. um no that's super threatening and if I wasn't (laughs) HR I would yell at myself um I don't think anything is proprietary because for me at least once it's on a menu I've mentally moved on to the next thing um Mm -hmm. and to be honest nothing occurs in a bubble I stole that idea from someone else or was influenced by someone else or even if it's you know house bitters or or whatever there's some cool shit that we worked really hard on. Exactly. Um, but if someone asks for it, I'm always a little sad when someone asks for our recipes because I'm like, I'm happy to give you every step of this. You're not going to want to make you it. You won't achieve the same thing. It'll well, be different. It's not even that. I'm just like, it's, it's, I'm going to see your eyes glaze over as I exactly. fill up this entire page of paper yeah. with the 14 steps to make this one ingredient in this. Yes. And it steeps for three days. And it's, um, and then we take the spins all out. Like y- you can make this happen, but, um, Please just come in and let me make it just for you. Just let I'm me make it s- for I'm you. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I, gatekeeping is something I think should stop. And the people like uh, like any opportunity I've had, um, and I've had a lot that were that were handed to me or urged to me um, by people I, I either viewed as mentors or my big thing is, um, and a friend told me this, if you see somebody doing something cool, don't like, don't be shy. Just be like, hey, I think... You, this whiskey you're creating is cool. How'd you do this? I think uh, the fact that you're a brand ambassador is cool. How'd you do that? Yeah. Nine times out of 10, way more than that. People are like, oh, thanks. I'll absolutely tell you. Um, Yeah. I think not telling people how you got where you were and not being honest about it. Just, oh, it was just hard work. It was just absolutely not. I had a leg up. Um, I came into a program that was looking for people like, how did you become the head bartender of the Fox? I came in at the right time. Um, I, worked myself absolutely to death. Um, I get on well with our owners. Um, I'm probably too passionate about it. And it, the job was available. It's, it was nothing, it wasn't dumb luck. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. So yeah, gatekeeping is the thing. I think the industry, uh, and I think we're getting away from it, but I think we should get away from more. Um, for female bartenders, I kind of hate that because I don't like being specified. Um, the only way I like being divided is that, um, the vast majority of natural born super tasters are women. And you can use that fact when you're talking about home decor too, I've decided. It is a fact. Um, yeah, yeah, there's no, I don't, and I don't think you see it as much anymore, but I think there, there used to be a lot of like, uh, restaurant awards that they'd be like best chef and best female chef. And that is so beyond condescending. Um, so so yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really like being divided up. I also don't like the like girl power, anything you can do. Yeah. I'm happy to support men. I'm happy to support women. Um, I do think there is a huge, um, disparity of, uh, of bartenders, especially in cocktail bars, craft cocktail, um, craft cocktails that are, uh, minorities in any way, women, LGBTQIA, mm-hmm. uh, plus people of color. And I think some of that is because that jump from server or host to 
to bartender or bar back to bartender is one that a lot of them are not being given chances on. Exactly. Um, and I think um, mentoring staff is the biggest, best thing you can do. Mentoring your staff, mentoring other people's staff, um, finding mentors for yourself yeah. um, and helping. If you are not the right mentor for someone, connecting them with someone who is. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I forget what your first question was. Well, we said that. (laughs) No, you're great. That was awesome. Because we've said that in so far, all of our episodes of like, everybody who needs to um, have space, somebody has to make that space. And it doesn't mean it, it, the best, I don't want to be divided as like, oh, you're the best female bartender I know. No, I want to be the best bartender you know. I just want to be the best that I can be. Um, so I love that you said that, but that also means that the industry can do better making space. And that's as yeah, simple as that. I think we are responsible. Um, I think it's really tempting to hire people. Like it's, it's human instinct. You sit down and interview with someone and you get on really well and you're Mm -hmm. like, this is so natural and awesome. I want to work with you. Um, but some of that is because they're a good person and a good fit for your bar. And some of it is because you may have similar friends. You may have similar socioeconomic interests, backgrounds and, and it leans itself. It lends itself towards hiring people that come from your background and look like you and grew up like you. And that's where it starts to get dangerous. I, and I don't think it is, I don't think it is proactive hiring. I don't think it's trying to hire mm-hmm. minorities. I don't think it's trying. I think it's hiring the best, you hire the best person for the job with that as the only stipulation and you, well, I guess their availability. Uh, and <laughs> you will be shocked what your, what your staff looks like. If you put aside your, put aside preconceived notions of, of comfort and familiarity, are. And what a bartender looks like. And I think people are getting better at that. You have Um, to be intentional. It can't be on accident. It has to be intentional. You have to check yourself. Yeah. um, And also, like, I think there is a little bit of, um, well, the guest is always right. And I don't, I don't view that as drinks. I, as soon as someone starts to make other people feel uncomfortable, whether that's guests or staff, Mm -hmm. they've got to go. Um, exactly. Nowadays, especially our staff are our greatest assets. It is hard to hire if you have someone who is trained and you like, um, protect them and make them feel happy and, yeah. um, mentor them. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, the other question was just what can bartenders be doing better? And I mean, some of that is answered in what you just said. Yeah. Be a mentor, be a friend, um, take care of yourself, whatever that looks like. Mm. Uh, I hope the days of, of like, Oh, you got to rip shots with me. Oh, you got to stay up this like competition of who's, yeah. who's better. Who's a, who's a bad girl. Yeah. Uh, who cares I, less I, about I, their well-being? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think it's, it's cool to care. It's cool to be a nerd and it's cool to take, take time away. Um, see yeah. what other people are doing, push other people up. Um, I hate when there was a, that's a Nashville restaurant too, that a lot of people like. And on their Instagram, they were kind of making fun of other spots. Yeah. You're like, that's not a good look, my dude. That's so shady. Um, I like you're, we're all human. There are definitely spots in this town and every other that I'm like, wow, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like their program. I don't like their drinks, but I'm not going to tell anyone that's super shitty. That's so gross. Um, I think the nicest thing you can do is compliment people behind their backs and compliment other bars behind their backs. And, Send your guests to spots that you like and to spots that they would like. Um, yeah, don't, you know, do do good by yourself and do good by other people. That's I don't think that's a bartending rule. I think that's just a rule in general. Yeah. 
Good humans make good bartenders, though. So yeah, and, uh, if you want to be a good human, you'll be pretty good at bartending. And stop being, stop being so precious about it. Mm. It's just, it's just drinks. Yeah. It's not, it's like the most important and least important thing ever. Simultaneously, the most important and yeah. the least important. It's I both. agree. It's, it's both stupid and the least stupid. I love this so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been such a pleasure. It has been such a joy. Seriously. Uh, I love talking with you. I hope I can continue talking with you off the air. I would love to get some chat laughs. with me. We had yeah. some drinks. I'm going to go get a drink at your bar, but one more clink for me just oh, for the sound yes, effect. Please. Cheers. That one was good. Less good. I feel Less like good. We the first was the best. <laughs> it's, you know, we're chasing that high. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I love you. Thank you for joining me. And if uh, if y'all are working tonight, I hope that you have a great shift, make some money, have some fun, and cheers.